0: You're listening to the X-Zone Radio Show live and around the world on the Talk Star Radio Network. Visit us online at www.xzone-radio.com. where fact is fiction and fiction is reality. Now, here's your host, Rob McConnell.
1: Everybody likes a celebration Happy music and conversation Happy life If I said I didn't have the blues In the corner there's a couple dancing From the kitchen I can hear them laughing Oh, I wish I was celebrating too
0: Welcome back to The Exxon, everyone. My name is Rob McConnell, and we're coming to you live and around the world on the Talk Star Radio Network from our studios in beautiful Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. Now, Hamilton is right on the shores of Lake Ontario between the city of Toronto and Niagara Falls, Ontario. And I'll tell you something. We are smack dab in the middle of the Great Lakes Triangle. one 877 is toll free. My email address is xzone at xzoneradio.com. On MSN Messenger, talkstarradio at hotmail.com. And our websites, www.xzoneradio.com and xzonetv.com. My guest this hour is Dr. Chris Humphrey. And uh, Dr. Humphrey has degrees in physics from Oberlin and he has a degree in philosophy from the University of Washington, Seattle. He spent 10 years in academia at the USC, Kansas State, and Oklahoma State, 20 years in computer science. He retired at the early age of 55 to devote himself to full-time philosophy and physics. He is the author of Whole Earth, Inner Space, which was published in 1973, Revelations on the Nameless One in 1982, and A Science of Civilization in 2002, Jumping Light Years in 2003, and UFOs, PSI, and Spiritual Evolution in the year 2004. And Dr. Chris Humphrey, welcome back to the X-Zone. How are you, sir?
2: Well, I'm good. How do I sound? You sound you sound great. Well, good. Sometimes, Just, you know, the, uh, <clears throat> these phones don't work the way they're supposed
0: well, you're sounding great tonight, and thank you very much for joining us. Now, I understand when you were a young gentleman at the age of 10, you saw a UFO.
1: Yes, that's right. Sure.
0: And I was wondering if you could just give us a little bit of a of a description of what you saw and how you felt.
2: Okay. Uh, I grew up on a farm mm-hmm. in north-central Oklahoma, and I happened to be outside. It was just after sundown, but the light you know, was still full light
1: mm-hmm.
2: you know the summer <clears throat> sunset and my my younger brother and my mother were in the house my older brother and my father were in the barn so mm-hmm. I was the only person outside Okay. so what I saw coming up over the trees to the west of me was a thing that looked like a meteorite it was spherical it was hit it. there was a kind of greenish aura around it,
1: mm-hmm. it
2: was burning up but the only problem with that hypothesis was that it was traveling horizontally Oops. at a very slow speed about 15 miles an hour or less and making absolutely no noise doctor other-
0: please stand by you and i have to take a two minute commercial break interesting story the age of 10 he saw a ufo and um, we're going to continue this conversation with our guest this hour, Dr. Chris Humphrey. His website is www. Are you all ready for this? interstellar travelcom This is the Exxon live and around the world on the Talk Star Radio Network from our studios in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. We'll be back in two minutes. Don't go away.
1: Oh, give up on us baby don't make the wrong seem right the future isn't just one
0: Welcome back to the Exxon. Our very special guest this hour is Dr. Chris Humphrey. His website is www.interstellar-travel.com. That's www.interstellar-travel.com. Doctor, before we went on the commercial break, you were telling us that you were outside uh, when you saw this meteorite but it wasn't traveling the right direction and it was slow and it was making no sound.
1: Yes, that's right. But it was
2: obviously, uh, well, guided, it was a guided spacecraft, I think. Mm-hmm. And it was obviously disguising itself as a meteorite. Now, this thing was seen all over Oklahoma and Texas. It was in the papers the next day. And they universally described it as a meteorite. And in fact, if you saw it from some distance, that could actually be a plausible explanation. But this one came right over my head yeah. at a height of about 200 feet. And it made a sharp right angle turn. It came out of the west and it went off to the south. <clears throat> and it did not communicate to me in any way. Uh, had no effect on me in any way, but I knew that this was something I wasn't going to be able to talk about to anyone. So I kept it secret for about 30 or 40 years.
0: Oh, my goodness.
2: Yeah, it wasn't until I started writing these books that I finally decided I would confess some of the experiences that I have had of the paranormal. I can tell you another one if you would like. Oh, yes, please. I have personally afforded. I you know what an afford is, right? Yes. Okay, I personally afforded, not deliberately, but inadvertently. I was I climbed up on my roof, which is the foolish thing to do for an old man like me. And <laughs> I started to get down and my foot slipped mm-hmm. and I was just on my way down onto some sharp spikes of the wire fence. And suddenly, uh, in an instant, I was dressed out prone, just about an inch or two off the ground, which was sort of wet and muddy and you know, soft. Right. And that's how I fell. Didn't have, you know, not a bone broken or a, a, a bruise. And that reminded me of Yuri Geller's inadvertent uh, port Yes. Thirty miles. Yeah. You've probably read about this, right? Yes,
0: in fact, uh, Yuri has been on the show uh, many times, and he's discussed that with us.
2: Oh, great. That's fine. I'm glad to find someone who knows something about Yuri.
0: Yes, no, he's a a very good friend of mine. That's
2: that's great. That is great. Yeah, I've corresponded with him by email, but that's, you know, as far as it goes.
0: um, he's, he's, He's slightly ahead of his time. But yeah. I believe that his time is now, and uh, people are finally starting to understand what the man's about.
2: Right, right. I think so. I hope so. I mean, if we could just get rid of the noxious skeptics, or, I've heard that sort a of different way, but.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, well, thank you, uh, thank you for putting it so delicately on this family show, sir. <laughs> yes,
2: that's right. that's right. Well, let's see. I've also seen something called table tipping.
0: Oh, yeah. Table tipping, yes.
2: A lot of people have done this. It's widely known as a a party trick.
0: A parlor trick.
2: A parlor trick. Yeah. And, of course, the illusionist would say, well, it's pretty obvious how that's done. And they could come up with several different ways that an illusionist could could deal with it. But here you're dealing with a bunch of farm kids table I helped put it up you know You know, I didn't get any of those right. But you know, it was just the
0: phenomenon itself. Oh, by the way, Exonation, uh table tipping is not like cattle tipping at all. Uh one eight seven seven five two eight eight two five five is toll free. Doctor Chris Humphrey is our very special guest. And um Doctor Humphrey, what started your quest into into investigating UFOs, uh, interstellar travel, forbidden sciences?
2: I really believe it was that experience when no. I was about 10, seeing the, the UFO. That was in 1950. And, you know, if you have an, an early experience like that, you know the textbooks are wrong. You, you just know it before you ever get to school. Right. And so I never forgot that. So I was never trapped by the prevailing world view which I think most people aren't.
0: I, I think it's a matter of programming, personally. Because well, I
2: may be just another name for it. Yeah. But but, yeah, they're definitely programmed, and, and it's a credo. You know, it's like a religious belief.
0: Yes, it is.
2: And in the academic world, it's a credo that if you break, you'll lose your job. That happened to someone I, I knew out in Los Angeles, Dr. Selman Law who wrote a very interesting introduction to Psi Phenomena, and she, she studied lots of stuff. She had little local TV programs back in the 1960s when she was active, but you know, the, the, her friends kept warning her she shouldn't be studying this stuff because she'd lose her job, and finally she did, and she wasn't able to get another one. So she went into show business. <laughs> But uh, I don't really know the rest of her life story from that point.
0: How do UFOs travel to the stars, Doctor? What's your theory?
2: Uh, levitation and apportation. I mean, I think that they—the reason I think it's levitation for those low and slow trips mm-hmm. across the landscape without any noise and without any kind of a rocket is because that's exactly how things levitate in our experience. And, and Uri Geller has probably told you of the many times when in his presence things started levitating and apporting themselves all over the place. Yeah. And it's always very silent. That's, you know, a characteristic thing of both the UFO and the apport and also of the UFO. UFOs. I like but whatever. <laughs> okay. So the other reason is that given the requirements of sun, planets, moon, metallicity, and age of the system, uh, systems, planets like us, like ours, mm-hmm. have to be at least four or five billion years old. Have to be singlets. For most most planetary systems are doublets or triplets of stars, so they have to be very far apart, like maybe thousands of light years. And yet, there's reasons which I will probably be giving you in a, in a moment for thinking that they can travel here instantly and be home in time for supper, you know. Even a third, they live a thousand light years away.
0: How would they do that? that? That seems impossible to our way of thinking.
2: It does, but then the uh, porch also seems impossible. And I can tell tell you from my own personal experience, it takes no energy. You know, it doesn't leave you tired. Mm-hmm. It's effortless. In fact, it's so effortless that I didn't even get very excited about it as you know a significant experience until I read about Yuri's 30-mile airport And I go, well, you know, I did something like that. <laughs> and uh, so if you can afford 10 feet, I think if you've got the nerve and you, you know, you've know you got the experience, you can afford 1,000 light years just to be. It.
0: It's just a matter of concentration and uh, willpower
2: then. And, and experience, you know, a lot yeah. of we are a young species of humanoid, you know, and we can already do kind of baby forms of mm-hmm. phenomenal powers. So what we will be able to do in 100,000 years, I think, if we survive, you know, as a species, <laughs> we might learn to control all these powers if we also learn to control the dark side of our nature, you know, we quit having wars, and, uh, you know, financial collapses, murder, rape, and all
0: that sort of stuff. All the negative things in this humanistic life of ours. Please stand by, Dr. Humphrey. You and I have to take our news break at the bottom of the hour. Exonation Nation, our special guest this hour is Dr. Chris Humphrey. His website is wwwinterstellar travel Dot com. That's www.interstellar-travel.com. Dr. Humphrey and I will be back on the other side of this commercial break. And the news as the x continues on the Talk Star Radio Network. If you'd like to give us a call and ask the good doctor a question, lines are open at 1-877-528-8255. The x with yours truly, Rob McConnell, returns on the other side of this news break. As we continue on the Talk Star Radio Network from our studios in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. All the bad news? Well, then take a break from the worries of the world and play the love game. It's time to focus on what is really important in our lives, our relationships. You deserve more love, happiness, and harmony in your life. Synchro Hearts is the new hot relationship game that guarantees more love, laughter and romance for you and your partner. It's not a sex game, it's a love game based on all the important relationship stuff like better communication, more intimacy and lots of fun and excitement. Great intimacy is just one of the benefits of playing Synchro Hearts. Now President Obama inspires hope, love and peace for the world. Synchro Hearts offers more hope, love and harmony for relationships. To order your very own edition of Synchro Hearts, visit Synchro Hearts' website now at www.synchrohearts.com. That's www.synchrohearts.com. Synchro Hearts, it's the game you love to play and play to love. Dr. Chris Humphrey is my special guest this hour. www.interstellar-travel.com. That's interstellar-travel.com. Uh, Dr. Humphrey,
2: how do we? Correct something here. Sure. Um, that uh, site has my blog on it,
1: and it also has
2: a number of. Uh, some of them by me, some of them long out of print, but really important classics. So there's a lot of stuff on that site. I wanted to bring
0: that up. All right, and that's a www.interstellar-travel.com. Dr. Humphrey, how do we know star-traveling humanoids really exist, and, and have they visited Earth in the past?
2: Yes, they certainly have. And the best evidence for their, their existence Landed UFOs with the, the inhabitants, you know, standing around mm-hmm. or poking around outside. Like one of the typical cases that happened very early. In fact, it happened in July of 1947, just about two weeks after Roswell. Professor Johannes, a well-known academic in Europe, was doing his alpine walking in Friuli, which is Farthest northeast section of Italy, and there's a you know high mountain valley, and he broke through some trees and was amazed to see this bright red disc stuck in the side of the mountain. <laughs> and so <clears throat> he saw some boys off in the distance, so he started running in their direction, some kind of you know, fluttering mm-hmm. incoherently about what this could possibly be. And he got up to them and he realized they weren't boys at all. They were little men wearing overalls and sort of helmets, not space helmets, but, you know, cloth helmets. And they were green. (laughs) Green. Little green men. Well, they were kind of a a dark, earthy green. Mm -hmm. So so this may be the origin of the little green men story. right? Right. Especially since it happened so early. And the the only interaction they had between each other was that one of them became interested in his walking stick, which is one of those alpine walking sticks that has an ice mm-hmm. hammer on,
1: you know, as the handle. Yep.
2: And so they temporarily paralyzed him somehow. <clears throat> I think using some sort of powder, and they took his walking stick. And off they went up into the the UFO, and it took off out of the mountain with you know boulders flying every which way, but no damage to the ship. And you know it sort of got itself horizontal, hovered there for a minute, and that was gone. And this this is a, one of the cases that is well described in a, one of my classic favorite books about UFOs called The Humanoid. Charles Bowen is the editor and I think it's, you know, here's the whole title. Okay. Survey of Worldwide Reports of Landings of Unconventional Aerial Objects and Their Occupants. And it's a, a collection of articles by different u- ufologists. You know It's not just one scholar. Charles Bowen, Gordon Creighton, Amy Michelle, Coral Lorenzen, Antonio Rivera, and Jacques Ballet. And that is the classic book. You have that.
1: Now, the reason
2: why this is so scientifically important is because it instantly rules out things like swamp gas, you know, or Venus, or an, un- or an unconventional military aircraft made here on Earth. All those things are just totally ruled out. The only thing it could be is a flight. You know, only, it could be an interstellar spacecraft. There's, there's no other option left.
0: What about interdimensional?
2: Well, yeah, okay, that's, well, I'll allow that. Okay. I guess we can't rule that out. In fact, when you think about it, apportation almost has involved some kind of interdimensional travel. That's, that's right, yeah. I wonder what Yuri thinks about that.
0: Well, you well, might ask him next
2: time he comes
0: on. Well, I'll tell you what. The next time I have him on, I'll bring you on as well.
2: Well, good. I would I would love to talk to him from, from here, of course. Of course. Okay, so I would say that just just the studies in this book, The Humanoid, should prove to any skeptic mm-hmm. that we have been visited by hundreds of different species of humanoids. They're all humanoids. You know, they have different sizes, different colors, different degrees of hairiness, but some of them are so much like us that in the Antonio diaz Robust case in Brazil, where he was sort of um, grabbed and take, taken into the spacecraft bodily <laughs> by the whole crew six of them, one of them female, anyway, they, they sort of uh, sprayed him down, cleaned him up <clears throat> inside and out, and introduced him to the female crew member naked, and he was naked also. And, well, of course, the result was intercourse, which he enjoyed. He, the only thing he didn't like was their manner of speech, kind of like barking dogs.
0: Yeah, that's happened to me once or twice.
2: <laughs> yeah, well, oh, that's, that's terrible. <laughs> uh, but otherwise, he enjoyed it. But the thing is that this was a species so close to us mm-hmm. biologically that they could actually be human. That somehow branched off into an interstellar phase, you know, thousands of years ago by some unknown means.
0: Well, is it, is it possible, Doctor, that... The the interstellar species that we are talking about here uh, were actually the angels or the nephilim that were dep- that were talked about in the Bible, as well as the the um, the the gods that were talked about in Greek mythology.
2: Yeah, I mean, all those things are are certainly possible, they they really could pass as humans, mm-hmm.
1: except
2: they were a little smaller than we are. They were about the size of pygmies. Now. Antonio voice Boas um, was also fairly short, right. about five feet tall, and Pupu's girl was about um, almost five feet tall. So, you know, they, they were similar. But yeah, I, I don't like to. <clears throat> I mean, I have too much of a tendency to wander off on tangents anyway, <laughs> so I didn't. Uh, I didn't get into the. To fill in the film and all
0: that stuff in this book. But you know, when you, when you start reading the the tales of Greek mythology and compare them to the biblical accounts of, of angels, uh, it, they parallel. For example, God lives in heaven on high and the Greek gods lived atop of Mount Olympus. All deities descended. And in Greek mythology you have... Uh, you have Hercules, who certainly had um, more than mere mortal powers, and who was the 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 uh, the product of a god with a mortal. In the Christianity, you have Jesus, who was able to do more than any other mortal could, who was once again the product of a deity and a and a human.
1: Right.
2: <clears throat> well, all I can say is that all that's possible.
1: Yeah. I have no about it.
0: Now, why is it necessary for star travelers? Mm. And spiritual. That up-
2: is a hard question. I mean, that's a difficult thing, but it's at the center of my latest book, UFO Science. And you have to understand that it all centers around Fermi's paradox. (coughs) Excuse me. This was Enrico Fermi, who helped build the atomic bomb, Italian physicist. And he simply asked, I mean, the people around the table were talking about UFOs, and so forth. And he just said,
0: Doctor, you're starting to fade out on
2: us. Okay, I'm sorry. Okay. Uh, I shall either talk louder or maybe I can turn up the volume on this thing. Is that better?
0: Much better. Thank you.
2: If I get any worse, I'll go try the other phone.
0: No, this this is fine.
2: Okay. Anyway, he said, "If there really are ETs, why haven't they invaded Earth?" And, you know, he was sort of assuming that if there really were ETs, they would behave the way we do. Ah. But my theory is that you cannot become a star traveler or indeed maintain any high level of these paranormalist powers Mm -hmm. if you have not also undergone a great degree of spiritual evolution. And that's kind of the, uh, the point of view of the yogis, too. They say that, you know, of course they don't concentrate on that, getting those powers, those rishis, I think they call them. But they say that if you want to get them, you first have to be spiritually evolved. You have to develop your, your mind and soul
1: as well as
2: your body. And I think That's why there are no Star Wars. There will never be an attack on Earth like Independence Day or anything like that. All the stuff that the the stock and trade of science fiction writers is all impossible. It's all baloney. It will never happen. Mm -hmm. It has never happened. I mean, there's no evidence of any past invasion of Earth by otherworldly creatures. I know of. And so that's the answer to the Fermi paradox. It's a paradox only if you think that if they're ETs, they, they must behave the same way we do. But we are a nasty, brutish, violent, primitive society.
0: Yes, we are.
2: We, we will have to outgrow that before we will ever be able to go to the stars.
0: And you know what, Doctor? I think that we're on the right track.
2: I think so, too.
0: I have a lot of faith in uh, in mankind. Tell me, Doctor, what are the forbidden sciences, and why are they
1: forbidden?
2: Well, there's the study of psychical phenomena. hmm There's the study of UFO phenomena. There's Toynbeean history. That's one that probably not too many people know anything about. There's something that can either be called Empirical metaphysics or just the science of spirituality, that might be a better term, and finally utopian analysis. So there are five of them. And the reason they're all forbidden from universities, from major media, uh, forbidden <clears throat> in our worldview is because they are not compatible with our worldview. So we would have to open up our minds, and be willing to accept uh, a new worldview. And I think that's really the essence of intelligence. Intelligence is the ability to learn from experience, no matter how much it may contradict everything you've been told. And many people cannot do that. They just cannot do it. In my family, there are a bunch of academics, a bunch of very smart people, and only one of them has any openness at all to this kind of thing and it's you know, not because they're stupid but just because they have you get, the worldview gives you an idea of what is possible and what is impossible and so if you're brought up in the reductionist materialistic worldview you think everything is, happens by cause and effect mm-hmm. or chance and everything reduces atom state right that's the reductionist credo and you break it at your peril if you want to be an academic uh scientist or if a philosopher or anything if you want to be in the, in the academy and get grants and things like that doctor
0: stand by you and i have to take our final break dr chris Humphreys, my special guest this hour excellent nation www.interstellar-travel.com. Not only is that his blog address, but there are many books, incomplete books, that are at that site as well. I'll be back on the other side of this break, right here on Talkstar.
1: Hey, hello there,
0: I'm Vic- Dr. Chris Humphrey is our special guest this hour, www.interstellar-travel.com. That's www.interstellar-travel.com. Dr. Humphrey, is there such a thing as life after death, and how do we know there is?
2: Yes, there is, certainly. And we know it from the near-death experience studies, of which there are many. have mm-hmm. probably read a lot of them, and so have I. And... Even more strongly, we know it from the proof of reincarnation of the late Professor Ian Stevenson of the University of Virginia. And what he did was to travel, by the way, he had the, the advantage all his working life of having a patron, a guy who, a millionaire, the guy who invented the DROC process, mm-hmm. Carlson. And he put up millions all through. Stevenson's had a life to support his extensive research, first on young children who begin to talk about a previous lifetime as soon as they learn to talk, and secondly, about people who in a very deep trance can speak languages and dance dances and so forth that they don't know or cannot do consciously. That's called responsive xenoglossy. Now, Stevenson is a very rigorous guy, very cautious. He never wrote any any popularizations of his book.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: He only gave one interview. And if you do a, a Google on Ian Stevenson, you can find that, that one interview, which probably explains his ideas better than anything. But the point is that if you read his technical monograph, like 20 cases suggestive of reincarnation, and you really look at the details, and they're all in there, because this is not a a book for the hoi polloi, this is a technical monograph, and he comes to the last chapter, and he shows that every single hypothesis you can think of to explain these things can be ruled out by one thing or another in the in the 20 cases. That's 20 out of several hundreds that he had at the time. <clears throat> and he probably had thousands of such cases in his library by the time he died. <clears throat> so, in my opinion, Stevenson was the Galileo of the last century. I mean, someday he will be, he will rule as the greatest scientist of that century, not Einstein, because We're much more interested in life after death than we are in
1: relativity.
0: Dr. Humphrey, we have just run out of time for tonight. I do want to thank you so much for joining us. Always great talking to you. And I look forward to the next time when you and I meet here in the X-Zone. Great.
2: Great. Good night, Doctor.
0: Take care of yourself now, and thanks again. Good night, sir. www.interstellar-travel.com. Now, when I come back from the news at the top of the hour at six and a half minutes past, I'll be joined by Dr. Jeffrey Mishlove as the exome continues right here on the Talkstar Radio Network from our studios in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. Don't go away.